When I'm not hosting this podcast, I am writing books, but it is really hard for me to write when I'm at home, so I like to find remote cabins in the middle of nowhere to just hang out and write. But I hate the idea of my house just sitting empty, doing nothing but collecting dust and definitely not collecting checks. And that's why I'm an Airbnb host. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. Other popular side hustles are awesome too, don't get me wrong, but they often involve big startup costs. By hosting your space, you're monetizing what you already have access to. It doesn't get easier than that. And if you're new to the side hustle game and you're anxious about getting started, don't worry because you're not in this alone. Airbnb makes it super easy to host. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth a lot more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. I'm Nicole Lappin, the only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. It's time for some money rehab. I do a lot of hard things in my job. I mean, we all do. At the beginning of my career, one of the hardest things for me to master was networking. And sometimes I still find it really hard. I would be thrilled to spend my days at home on my couch with my dog, Penny. But networking, in my experience, is the single most effective tool for professional development. I mean, I wish when I was green in my career and finding my networking voice, I had John Levy in my corner. John is a behavioral scientist who is an expert on connection. I met him through an event series that he developed, which you'll hear more about in this episode. And his research is so useful for anyone working on their networking skills. So I sat down with him so that you could hear the insights from his research on how to make the most out of introductions to someone who could be valuable to your career. John Levy, welcome to Money Rehab. I'm so excited to be here. Are you really? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a huge like fan of yours. And uh, there are few people that are better at banter and fun conversation <laughs> than you. So the moment you invited me, I was like, I'm clearing my schedule. I'm coming. You're the best. Thank wow. You. The pressure is on. Yes. What does your tattoo remind me? 2 a.m. Because my first book was called The 2 a.m. Principle, which is nothing good happens after 2 a.m. except the most epic things in your life. So it's either you're like at a pizza place being like, why isn't there anybody cute around? Or at three o'clock in the morning, right? Uh, Or it's you're in a dance off with Usher. But there's like really nothing. No in in between. Yes. No gray area. Yes. The most important thing to live an exciting life is really the people you surround yourself with, right? And we know this, that You could go to like the greatest party in the world, but if you're with somebody who's really annoying, it's miserable. And if you're with the greatest people, but you're like even just sitting on a couch having a conversation, you're having a blast. It's not what's on the table. It's who's at the table. Yeah. And I guess that would actually be perfect considering I've spent most of my life convincing people to cook me dinner, which is, I believe, how we met. That is how we met. Yeah. That's what they call a tee up in podcasting. Oh, nice. I'm I'm not, I'm I'm happy I I didn't screw that up. You did great. Uh, just to give some context to somebody who hears this, for it's been uh, 13 years, close to 300 dinners, uh, over 2,600 guests. I'm guessing, and uh, they come. You know this. We all cook dinner together with a catch. You can't talk about what you do or give your last name. And then you find out that you. I mean, who are some of the people that you've gone to dinners with? Astronauts. Yeah, Nobel so many astronauts, Olympians, Nobel laureates, yeah. CEOs, artists. Like a whole eclectic bunch. Yeah. I missed Bill Nye. He's shown up. He misses you, though. <laughs> Always. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Dr. Ruth. Yes, that's a good one. You have a whole smorgasbord. So like I got, I don't know how I got the email originally, Mm -hmm. um, but it shows up in the inbox that's like influencers dinner. And worst name ever. It is the worst it's name abso- ever. I was I named say it. That oh my god, it's so it. bad. It's I named it 13 years ago where as a behavioral scientist I was studying what influences our decisions and then Instagram comes out and ruins everything for Ugh. me. I'm I'm actively searching Kevin for a new Sistrum. name. Yes. Stand down, sir. <laughs> you should get a new name. <laughs> yes, and I should have Kevin Sistrom pay for the consulting firm That's right. to cover it. <laughs> he owes me punitive damages. It was like, I don't want to go to this, was yep. my first thought. Yep. Was, this sounds cheesy. Yep. What it like this is an Instagram type party or You're expecting like a lot of people in bikinis with yeah. avocado toast and like a pinkish yeah. wall. It feels somewhere. it feels transactional, it feels yeah. cheesy. But I was pleasantly surprised. You go into the influencers dinner. Can I explain how it works? Oh, please, okay. Go for it. So it's I not mean, like your a secret. Experience is very different than mine, right? I've never Certainly. attended one. <laughs> That's right. Um, so you go if you're in New York, probably to John's house or some other yeah, you know, some, sponsored. Some, I think you've had like different ones at I, different I, I locations. Friends with sometimes brands hosted. Or, okay. My uh, pregnant wife doesn't necessarily want like a hundred people in the house all the time. So super <laughs> fair. Uh, Take off your shoes at John's house, is what I remember. And uh, you learn that the house rules are don't talk about what you do for a living. Mm-hmm. And I've attended a few of your dinners. Mm-hmm. And I actually, and I talked about them in my third book. Oh, wow. Um, did you not know this? No. I have to give it to you. I tracked the progression of the dinners I went to by how well I could talk about things I wasn't doing with regards to work. Mm. And I could almost, it almost served as a barometer for my balance, my life balance. And so I found that when I was struggling to have a conversation because, so the house rules don't talk about what you do for a living. You make Mexican food at different stations. You Mm. go around like guacamole, whatever. You talk to different people, just not about what you do for work. And then you sit down and everybody guesses what you do. That's my least favorite part of the dinner, by the way. It feels judgy and like judging kind of. I got club promoter, (laughs) (laughs) Instagram person. Uh It was weird. Uh, It definitely. So it felt like to me a little judgy in that sense, Mm -hmm. which was fine. I I will point out, though, when I let the guests, when the guests come in and I introduce what the activities, I say, as we're cooking, each of you has a job. Do you know what that is? And everybody says to cook or something like that. And I say, no, it's to judge each other silently because you want to come up with like guesses for people. Now, here's what's what I'll say is kind of interesting uh, for most people. Maybe it wasn't enjoyable for you is to have people give a perspective of you independent of the way the world already sees you. And so it, I think it's one of those things that's useful, may not always be flattering. <laughs> After running all these dinners, the biggest and most unexpected thing I learned is that no matter how successful people are, uh, they generally don't feel like they fit in. Hmm. They Olympian knows that it was like one one thousandth of a second or whatever it was. And next time they might not even make the team or the CEO knows that that quarter they did great. And the next quarter earnings might be terrible and they'll lose their job. And what's really clear to me is that no matter where I am in the world, if it's, you know, battling a bull in Pamplona or something like that, or getting a bunch of executives to cook a meal, all of us really just want to feel like we fit in. Like we have friends in that we really belong. And so I think if I kind of have a superpower, 
it's to give people a space where they can kind of feel connected to each other and make real friends. And, and I'm really proud of that. You should be really proud of it. So, so if somebody isn't invited to your dinner, yeah. what should they know? How can they use those principles in their own mm. networking, network building, if you find there is a difference, I do, between building a network and networking mm -hmm. uh, in their own lives? So the first thing I'd say is nobody actually likes networking, right? In fact, when you look at the research, people's emotional response, like their implicit response is feeling dirty and wanting to wash. We don't have that experience when it's about making friends. And so, and that's because it doesn't feel transactional. So the first thing I'd say is instead of networking, go make friends. And people make friends over common uh, ground. So it could be that you have friends in common. So ask for lots of introductions. It could be activities like you like soccer or something like that. Let's go do that. You like axe throwing. That's popular these days, I guess. There's a whole lot of these places. Yeah. Pickleball. Yeah. Pickleball is like Kevin, a, a resurgence right now. Sure it's like, is. it's amazing. So all these things, that's like the way that, that you can actually find common ground or if you're religious, stuff like that, yoga, whatever. Right. The reason I also emphasize asking for introductions is that there's this really weird characteristic of human behavior. And we think that if I take you out for an expensive dinner, you will like me more and trust me more. Or, hey, can I take you out for coffee in exchange for picking your brain? That's not really going to help when the person you're asking could just buy a coffee chain, right? Like they, <laughs> they don't really. Need... I dislike the picking your brain yes. phrase oh, so much. Why? Why do I hate it? It feels uh, invasive, probably. Yeah, it's that, like, like surgical almost. I don't like it. Uh, so, can we have an alternate? Yes. Uh, alternative? To get your insights. Okay. Your perspectives, your wisdom. Okay. Yeah. Better. Your guidance, your mentorship. Sure. Uh, if you want, I could continue to Thoris size. <laughs> I don't know what the proper <laughs> conjugation of that is. Uh, now, here's what's funny. That stuff doesn't work. You cannot like buy the relationship with food or coffee. What you can do, though, is the exact opposite. And it's called the Ikea effect. And it says that we care more about our Ikea furniture because it's a pain in the butt to assemble. So anything we invest effort into, we care about disproportionately. So my first recommendation is find ways to get people to put in small amounts of effort into your relationship. So instead of asking to take you to like coffee, I'd say, hey, I loved your books. I read them. They're fantastic. Is there another author that you really recommend I check out? Then once you invest the effort into me by answering that question, then the next thing I do, you'll be more likely to actually fulfill on. It's called stacking. But if you're asking, if you want to get to know me and then uh, you're asking me to do something for you and I yeah. don't even know you, why would I want to do that? If it's a small enough lift, okay, which is like, oh yeah, my favorite author is X, done, right? That's like a quick email to clear. Uh, the classic example is asking for directions. If I ask you for complex directions on the street, you're probably not giving them to me. If I ask you for the time, you are. Then if I ask you for the directions, you almost always give them. Because once I'm viewed as worthy of effort, I'm viewed as worthy of more effort. And that's why at the dinners we cook together, because it's the invested effort into one another that causes the bonding to happen quickly. It's why I recommend people go on hikes or do fitness classes together or volunteer work or build something, whatever it is, do some art class or write a song, whatever, right? That shared effort is what actually will create a bonded experience, make you feel like you know each other disproportionately well. I dislike small talk. Mm -hmm. How do I navigate that? What is the best way to break the ice, the proverbial ice, mm -hmm. or to start a quick conversation to get to know somebody, especially if you're feeling extremely awkward asking for a friend? <laughs> uh, 
as somebody who spent his entirety of his 20s and 30s feeling awkward, uh, I've put a lot of things to the test. The first thing is to look at what you want from the conversation. The human brain really responds to novelty when something stands out as unique or different. And we're all kind of sick and tired. I, I wrote a post about this that like if anybody asks me for who are the three people you'd most want to have a dinner with of all time? Like, come on, everybody's asked that question. Let's move on. Ask something like wildly more unique. It's, Which speaking of, I dislike weather small talk so much. Oh, yeah. It's, Let, oh my God, it's raining. Yeah, duh. <laughs> Why do people do that? Because they don't have anything else to talk about. I, I realized it this one day when I was at a soccer match, uh, I was watching it and a woman walks up and she's like, oh, I'm looking for so-and-so. I was like, oh, I don't know who that is. Oh, he's my agent. I'm a model. And I realized that she wasn't saying that to be like pretentious or anything. She just didn't know what else to talk about. Mm. And I get it. Like we as human beings are awkward. Our social skills have gotten worse and worse generation by generation. We kind of peaked in the 1950s where we were involved in social activities like all the time. And then the TV entered the house and our social skills decreased along with post-war sentiment. So like there's this whole process. We have less friends than ever. In 1985, we had about three besides family. Uh, by 2004, 19 years later, we were down to two. Now it's even less. Like our social skills have gotten worse, right? And so just to get back to the whole thing on like, what do you, can you ask? I, I ask crazy questions. I, you sure do. So I'd say, let, let me actually ask you a question. I want you to think for a second, all right? Imagine there's a fire in your home after saving your family, your pets, right? You can go back for one item. What would you go back for and why? Probably like the one picture I have of my dad or his book. Yeah. Um, it was written about him and an ex-boyfriend found it on a used book website and it was actually signed by him, which is crazy. Holy cow. And he passed away when I was 11. Uh, so I'd probably grab those. And so I, I think I have a similar answer. Like my dad passed away last year. And uh, there's this one painting of his that's like the like the pinnacle piece. And I would go back for that. Like it's too big to carry. But like if I had in the magic of this scenario, it would be that uh, because it like he put all four of us through school on his art. And like it's just magnificent and it means the world to me. And so I think like questions that kind of get to the heart of these things that pose interesting scenarios are really effective because now I know a whole lot more about you than, and if you don't feel comfortable, you could be like, oh, my photo albums, right? Like it's an easy out for people. Or here's like another kind of silly one. If we were to one day become like really, really close friends, what's like something I should know about you now? <laughs> <laughs> like what will annoy me later? <laughs> yeah. Give me a preview. Or maybe like, hey, I really love this sports team. I get crazy. Don't sit next to me during those. Sure. <laughs> like, but it's stuff that gives you an insight into people's lives. Oh, I, I was, was I supposed to answer that? You could, if you want. I was going to say that I have this very odd, like OCD about food genres. And so buffets make me very nervous <laughs> uh, because I don't believe like tiki masala and like chow mein and like should be anywhere belong. Near they don't yeah. belong together it's yeah. disorganized like i have a whole organizational thing with food and it needs to be the same which is why i actually appreciate your dinners because it's like one consistent theme except the, the cake brownies. at the end yeah. i don't know i don't love that i know i've never eaten maybe it. we'll switch flan. to churros yes flan <laughs> 
<laughs> flan seems right. Flan, flan and churros. Churros, make... churros are also yeah. right. But in that, like in margarita vibes, like but... I just feel like it needs to be a through line. Now I have to for figure the meal. Yeah. Anyway, next one I'm at, I'll bring my own. No churros. <laughs> yeah, bring, bring your own flan. You can probably just have like three or four of these questions in the back of your head that you give us a couple to... more if, if um, we're having, and I won't answer all of them okay, for you. <laughs> uh, when's the last time you sang in public? <laughs> you can't say something like that if you're just meeting somebody that which is why yeah. people say like the weather stuff oh it's so hot you know you can't go I, in you can't go in hot to a conversation like what would you, I, hey I john nice to meet actually, you what would you have played at your funeral i i disagree completely i think it has to do with just the sentence and a half that you say right before that Such if nice. i say hey so you might know i'm a behavioral scientist I was just examining a collection of kind of wild questions. Mind if I ask you one? Oh. Or you could just say, I read this article. Sure. Or you, I was listening to this amazing podcast called Money Rehab. And have you ever heard? Oh, my God, she's so good. And blah, blah, blah. And I love this. Yes. I love where you're going with this. <laughs> of course you do. So, <laughs> But I, why do you leave the occupation part out? Because people have... Because it's such a New York much? thing to like... So here, here's the issue. When you reach that level of status... In general, right, broad strokes, people are after five things constantly. They want, I say it's steam. They want your social clout because knowing you or being around you gives them status. They want their, your time, your expertise, your access, and your money, especially as a money expert. <laughs> and so if everybody's always after something, then, and it's associated with your status, most commonly your job title or whatever it is, then by eliminating that, they can't be after it. And so then what's happening is you're forming these bonds, cooking, independent of the status that you have. And so you actually form friendships. In fact, I used to know what people did when they walked in. And I knew that there was like this Nobel laureate coming and I'm terrible with names. So as a general rule, the Nobel laureate's always the oldest person in the room because it takes time to prove your theories, right? Sure. And so I buddied up with the oldest guy in the room and like I'm spending all this time with him. And I am just not enjoying it. He's like this curmudgeon old dude. And then we go around and I find out that he wasn't the Nobel laureate. He was a Pulitzer Prize in history uh, writing or whatever it is, and was just an old curmudgeon man that I'd never want to talk to again. I hope he's not listening to this. Well, I don't actually care because I'm not going to hang out with you anyway. So Wow. <laughs> uh, anyway, point being, at that point, I realized that I don't want to be that person. Like, I want to make friends. And then if they're do something that I really love, fantastic. If not, that's okay. Hold on to your wallets. Money Rehab will be right back. Do you ever get FOMO, fear of missing out? Well, do you ever get FOMO Tupita, fear of missing out on the perfect hire? If so, I have the antidote. It's LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites, and that adds up to a serious squad of awesome candidates. LinkedIn has over a billion professionals on the platform, and these candidates are super qualified. So much so that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours. I work with LinkedIn Jobs for all of my dream team needs, so they're hooking up money rehabbers at linkedin.com slash MNN. Go there and you can post your job for free. That's linkedin.com slash MNN, as in Money News Network, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
money rehabbers, you have money hidden in your house. Yeah, just hiding there in plain sight. Okay, so I don't mean you have gold bars hidden somewhere in walls, treasure map style, but you do have a money-making opportunity that you're just leaving on the table if you're not hosting on Airbnb. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. By hosting your space, you are monetizing what you already own. It doesn't get easier than that. For me, hosting on Airbnb has always been a no-brainer. When I first signed up, I remember thinking to myself, self, you pay a lot of money for your house. It is time that house returned the favor. And to get real with you for a sec, I felt so much guilt before treating myself on vacation because traveling can be so expensive. But since hosting on Airbnb, I feel zero stress for treating myself to a much needed vacation because having Airbnb guests stay at my house when I'm traveling helps offset the cost of my travel. So it's such a win-win. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And now for some more money rehab. And how can you develop some of that connection in this post-pandemic pandemic, like more URL than IRL life? URL versus I've never heard anybody say it like that. Is that an original like you? I've said it for a while. I, I'm i going to take credit for it. I love it. Thanks. That's so clever. Let's say what we're really talking about is how do we connect and build trust at distance, right? Yeah. And to understand that, I think it's important that we understand what the base unit of trust is. It's called a vulnerability loop. And it works like this. Person one signals vulnerability, right? So I might say, I am so stressed. I'm about to have, this is all true. I'm about to have my first child. I've never changed a diaper. I have no clue what I'm doing. Oh my God, I'm freaking out, right? So in that moment, I've signaled vulnerability. If you make fun of me or ignore me, trust will be reduced. Oh, it's like improv. You have yes. to say yes and. Exactly. No, that's absolutely it. And then, but if you said, John, that sounds really tough, that's the yes. And I know how you feel. I'm launching this company. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. I might not be able to associate with the child, but I'm definitely like learning a ton and feel a little bit out of my element. Doing my own birth. Yes. <laughs> bringing to life a company. Baby. Uh, business baby. The moment that I've seen that you've shown vulnerability to the same degree as me, trust has increased to that higher level. And now it gives an opportunity for another vulnerability loop. So the way we naturally build vulnerability loops is I'll pass you you know, my book and you'll take it, right? That's a loop. I put myself out there to pass you something and you accept it. Or I will, you say, hey, John, uh, can you pass me a pencil, right? Or if you drop some papers, I help you pick them up. That stuff is supernatural in person. Those are all vulnerability loops. At distance, when we're doing things on URL versus IRL, the issue is that we have to be super intentional about it. So if I'm on Zoom with you or Teams or whatever, right, and I see your background, I'd be like, oh, that's awesome. You have a money rehab sign. Where'd you get that? So I'm using the environment around us to begin to open those vulnerability loops. Or if you say, you know what the first thing that we say when we get on those calls? It's either like, where are you? Or I guess it's, can you hear me? But like, <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> you're on mute, John. <laughs> yeah, you're on mute. Uh, so it's either, how are you doing? Yeah. Or it's, uh, where are you? So if you actually answer those questions the real way, then you actually open and close vulnerability loops. So if you ask John, how are you doing? And I say, oh man, I'm super excited. I have this kid on the way. I'm a little nervous. I've never changed a diaper. Do you have any kids? I mean, do you have any advice? So suddenly you've opened the loop by asking the question. Most people are expecting, oh, great, great. But I actually use it to show you some of my humanity, mm -hmm. right? In a way that, and here's what's really important, 
it doesn't damage my credibility or my status, right? Like me not knowing how to change a diaper, literally everybody's been there at some point. Whereas if I was saying like, oh my God, I just got booked for this thing. I don't know if I can do it. And they're like, we're hiring you for the same thing. Right. <laughs> like not a good vulnerability loop to be sharing in that environment. Yeah. I think the pandemic made the question of how are you something that people more readily answered, honestly. I think you're right. I think especially at that peak of being stuck at home, they're like, I'm just burnt out. Like I'm anxious. You'd hear that a lot more. Yeah. Because um, it was a throwaway. Yeah. Like, how are you? Fine. Yeah. Good. Good. You? Fine. yeah. Huh? Eh, but how's the weather? <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, don't even joke about that. I will not be answering that. <laughs> check, a, check a weather app. <laughs> we can talk about I'm other so things. I'm so annoyed with it. Like, nobody, if anyone listening now, please don't ever ask me about weather. Mm. It feels like nails knockboard. Um, How do you maintain <laughs> relationships Oh, that's after you've created them? You're very good at it. So there's a few things that I do. Uh, that one is I constantly invite people to be introduced. And so it causes me to be in touch with others, regardless if I'm going to meet up with them or something like that. You introduce other people to others in your network. When I meet somebody, I say, I want you to know that like my superpower, I'm not the person with piles of money, but I am, uh, don't get me wrong, I, I make great money, like all that, right? But it's, I'm not a billionaire. What I am though, incredibly wealthy in is relationships. And so if there's anything you're ever dealing with, I want you to know you have an open invitation to ask for an introduction, if there's medicine, entertainment, whatever it is. And so I spend probably like 20 minutes a day just typing out introductions to people. And that does a couple of things. One is it does that very selfish thing that it gets you closer to me. And two, I love the idea that it creates a new future for people where I don't have to do any more work, right? Like if I have a kid, I have to spend the next 18 plus years caring for it. If I make an introduction, suddenly your life is potentially changed without me having to do any more work. I love that. Do you ask people before you make the intro? I normally double opt-in. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Like I check with both people? Uh, normally, yes, except for very specific people that I have an open invitation because it's always like they've come out so far ahead from the intros that they're like, you could literally introduce me to a serial killer. I'll still be happy. <laughs> right. The other uh, thing I do is I keep a list of people in different cities. Uh, my team handles it for me. So I say, oh, next time I'm in LA. And then a few weeks before, my team passes me the list, and then I reach out to all of them to see who wants to grab coffee or something. Like that. The third is I host these salons, which are these large gatherings. I'd say pretty large. They're about on the very low end, 60, on the high end, over 120. And we invite... Um, mostly former dinner guests to come, but also their family, friends, whatever it is. And we have kind of three famous speakers come and surprise people. So it'll be Bill Nye or when the Roots will perform or whatever it is, right? Uh, and we explore ideas and have conversations and it's super fun. And uh, most recently, one of the ones we did was not a New Year's. So it was on the 30th rather than the 31st. And it started at eight and had to end before midnight. So the introverts didn't feel obligated to stay out late. Smart. Yeah, you got to build for introverts. Otherwise, they don't show. Optimize for us. Yeah. Extroverted introverts, as my shrink tells me. Yes. But you never pay people to do those speeches. Never. So how do you ask for favors? This, you specifically, but then how can you broaden that out, zoom out, and give this advice to any listener who might be nervous to ask for a favor that they feel it's transactional or awkward? Hmm. First and foremost, I'd say ask for more favors regardless. The reason is even if you don't need it, I, I'm, I'm going to 
take it slightly sideways to explain this. When I was in my 20s and early 30s, I thought that people would like me more if it seemed like I had all my shit together. Like if I looked like I was so polished that I didn't need anybody, then you feel like, oh, there's a you know, hero in shining armor that I could always rely on. And people would offer to help me and I'd be like, no, no, it's okay. I've got this. <laughs> Hold my beer. You know, like, and what I didn't realize was that they would constantly open vulnerability loops signaling, hey, can I offer you some support? And I'd literally be smacking their hand away. Mm. And it did so much damage to my relationships. Like a bid in a relationship. A what? A bid. Tell me about this. Oh, okay. this is like a relationship uh, theory that you offer bids to somebody else. It's like this little opening to vulnerability yes. or like a break in a fight yeah. where you say, oh, like, I love you, my king or something like that. <laughs> That's what I learned in one relationship <laughs> therapy session. I hope my um, wife never refers to me as her king, but continue. Or like you fall on your sword or you do something to yeah. like extend a break in, in yeah, sure. the chaos or the fight or something. That's and, fantastic. Yeah. And then either somebody takes it or they don't. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's the same kind of thing. It's a, an opening or a vulnerability loop. And I was really doing damage to my relationships. And that's because as a species, we survived not because we're like fast or strong or any of that. Like we're kind of weak and awkward as far as animals go. Like look at just about any other animal and they're like graceful and fast and they have sharp teeth and claws and like they're made to survive. And we're kind of like these things that are born awkward or useless until our teens and then barely survive, right? <laughs> but the reason that we've taken over the planet is that we are better at working together than almost any other species out there. And that's because we can't survive without each other. And so it's in the investment of effort, that IKEA effect, that actually causes us to care about other people. If you are not asking for favors, advice, and support, you are missing out on the basic ability of human beings to connect. And if you think you are going to survive, you are going to make it, you are going to be happy without other people, you are going to make piles of money without other people, might be possible, it's very rare, but you'll completely miss out on like the experience of being human. And so my biggest recommendation is ask for favors, ask for support so that people care about you. And reciprocity is critical. Nobody likes a taker. And Darwinism so, depends on you. Yes. <laughs> we so end we, our episodes with a tip you can take straight to the bank. Uh, do you have one piece of money advice that you could give our listeners today? So there's this funny thing called the sunk cost fallacy, which is if you've already spent the money on something like Beyonce tickets and it's a terrible storm out and it's going to be a miserable experience, but you've already spent the money. People are like, oh no, I have to make it worth it. Now, don't get me wrong. It's Beyonce. Of course you want to go. Obviously. But if you know the experience is going to be absolutely miserable, who cares if you spent the money or not? This is like a big problem for people is not realizing that just because you made a decision and an investment doesn't mean that you have to stick with it. And the classic example of this was somebody asked Dan Ariely, named behavioral economist, should I divorce my spouse? And he said, I have no clue if, I, if you should divorce your spouse. But I'll ask pose the question in another way. Imagine you wake up next to your spouse tomorrow morning, but you're not married. You know everything that you currently know about them. You have the choice of either proposing to them or not. Do you propose? And if the answer is no, then either you need to do some work on your relationship or you need to get a divorce. And that's similar to if you've made an investment and I ask you, okay, imagine you didn't own this stock today. Would you pay the current price for it? Then, and based on the future outlook, do you think it's going to go up or down? And if the answer is no, then get rid of it and move on and do something else. 
Money Rehab is a production of Money News Network. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Money Rehab's executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Our researcher is Emily Holmes. Do you need some money rehab? And let's be honest, we all do. So email us your money questions, moneyrehab at moneynewsnetwork.com to potentially have your questions answered on the show or even have a one-on-one intervention with me. And follow us on Instagram at moneynews and TikTok at moneynewsnetwork for exclusive video content. And lastly, thank you. No, seriously, thank you. Thank you for listening and for investing in yourself, which is the most important investment you can make.